Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. I'm your host, Alex Carpenter, and this week we have with us Chad Morton. Chad is the co-founder of Direct Trade Coffee Club in Grand Rapids, Michigan. In this episode, we talk with Chad about how he got started in the coffee industry, the importance of creating relationships with his coffee farmers, the difference between direct trade and fair trade, building a business around sustainability, and much more. Without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hey Chad, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm doing good, we're glad to have you on the show. Um, yeah. For the listeners out there, uh, could you give uh, a little bit of backstory about yourself and what you're up to? Sure. I am Chad Morton. I uh, am partners in a company called the Direct Trade Coffee Club, which is a subscription-based coffee roasting company that sells all over the country to individuals who want fantastic coffee delivered to their door without a bunch of hassle, um, as well as locally in the West Michigan area. We service a lot of businesses and offices who want to offer a better experience to their um, employees as well as their clients. Um, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. What we try and do is work on sustainability from start to finish, working with the farmers all the way to the consumers to make sure that, you know, very similar to what you guys are doing, that they have all the uh, education to brew a fantastic cup of coffee, um, whether it's in their home or in their office. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, to start it off, I think we want to go back a little bit. And uh, when did uh, coffee become more than just a caffeine fix for you? When when did it become sort of uh, what you wanted to pursue and eventually up until now when it became a job for you? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a great question. Um, in 2006, uh, I had just really started drinking coffee at that point, really wasn't too much into it. Um, but I had traveled to, uh, rural Guatemala in the shield triangle, uh, to see some of the devastation of the civil war that had happened for years through there. And my local contact there happened to be a subsistence coffee farmer named Andres and, uh, had this dumbass idea to bring coffee back in a backpack and <laughs> bring it to West Michigan and uh, try and connect the some of the roasters that I knew were in Grand Rapids to a farmer in Guatemala, and that's kind of how I got my start. I um, the <laughs> ended up the product that I brought back in my backpack originally wasn't a usable form of coffee; it still was a parchment. And I, of course, not knowing anything about coffee logistics or anything, uh, brought it to these roasters, and for the most part, they all laughed at me and uh, told me. <laughs> What I was trying to do, uh, they were not interested in and most likely was not possible. And so um, being maybe a little bit more driven than some people, I spent some time going back and forth to Guatemala, working with Andres, working with um, some of his his guys on the ground there. And I figured out the coffee supply chain and um, essentially started a nonprofit to bring coffee back in backpacks and have them local roasted here in West Michigan. That's how I started. But that's an awesome story. I love how it kind of came to be and stuff like that. Um, I guess like the bigger, the bigger story actually is 
I had figured out the supply chain and then uh, me and a couple buddies were drinking at Founders one night and we probably all were a little bit loose and someone came up with the idea to start a business that was was more than just a profit-based business and I offered coffee and uh, a couple weeks later we had a a, a for reals kind of uh, non-profit business it was pretty great that's 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 crazy yeah. um so like you said I guess you're you're working directly with uh the farmers and you're traveling to the source that the coffee is grown what what's the that experience like why why do you guys focus on that and uh yeah what i mean from me i'm obviously never been to a coffee farm or anything like that so when i think about it i see like the photos of uh just in the middle of these rainforests or anything like that is it is it is there any type of uh like technology in these locations are you pretty much going out there with the backpack and hiking it to these remote locations yeah you know i have not been on some of the big large more commercial type coffee farms um most of the places that i've been are really crazy elevations cliffs mountainous um not a whole lot of um what i would say is technology or farming equipment everything is done by hand and when you see um, you see the elevation, you see what the, the, I guess the land that you have to deal with. There's really not a whole, a whole bunch that can get in and out of these places other than, you know, humans, animals, and donkeys, uh, donkeys being an animal, but they're, they're just small paths that you walk on along the, uh, in the coffee plantation. So as far as technology goes, no, I haven't really seen that. Um, when I first got into the business, not being so as connected as I, as I am now. Yeah. You know, it was, it was backpacks and sleeping on dirt floors and sleeping outside, um, dealing with wild dogs and whatever else, uh, kind of came my way. Um, I've done that. It's, it, it's fun. Uh, it's exhausting. Um, but it, it caused me to be where I'm at today. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back that way. Now, you know, typically I'm either staying with a farming family or staying with one of my local contacts on the ground. Sometimes I'll stay in a hotel. I prefer to stay with people. Um, I, I believe in deep relationships. And so in order to get to know somebody, you have to spend time with them. So that's kind of what I prefer rather than sitting in a hotel. Gotcha. So you are actually traveling to, I want to say you're primarily out of Guatemala, correct? Yeah, actually, our our business currently is out of uh, only out of Guatemala. I've I've traveled quite a bit, but um, my deepest relationships are in Guatemala, and so I there's there's enough there's enough uh, coffee variety there for our customer base. Um, there's a lot that you can do to pull out nuance and such. So um, for sustainability reasons and. Um, that comes in all different forms, but uh, for sustainability reasons from the business side, we tend to, again, go deep rather than broad, which um, saves us money, saves us time, saves us energy. We can focus on a very small, narrow area and just do it fantastically well as opposed to spread ourselves thin. Um, so, uh, yeah, right now we're all in Guatemala, and that's uh, kind of where we're planning on staying for now. Yeah, that's interesting because – I probably most uh most uh coffee shops that are 
rusting their own beans and stuff like that they're trying to kind of branch out to different areas is that correct like uh they don't want to just necessarily have one variety is that... yeah yeah you know it, it's interesting I've, I've done some consulting for coffee shops too and um our model is not retail so uh we do not have a retail shop everything we do is online um or uh person to person so our model is a little bit different and uh, in some of my consultation working with, you know, cafes and coffee shops, uh, I think that there is a model to be developed that stays narrow with, you know, one or two different coffees. I think there's enough variety in that to please everybody's palates. Um, for our, our, I guess my focus is what people want is a fantastic fucking cup of coffee <laughs> every morning. They want it to be consistent and they want it to be fantastic. And that's what we offer now from a, you know, a coffee retail side. Um, you know, there's a tendency to try and give, uh, give customers what they think they want, which is variety. And um, yeah, I get it. Uh, it makes sense for some, for some places and other places. I think that they should probably narrow it down. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so I think there is a there is a tendency to offer lots and lots of different different options, but that's not our model. There's nothing to take away from those options. Just for us, um, it comes down to sustainability of our of our business model, and retail is not it. Gotcha, for sure. So you talked a little bit about how you wanted to create those uh, the relationships with the farmers and stuff like that, and that kind of leads into this idea of direct trade versus fair trade. Um, I think it's still quite a open book on what people think of this. And I mean, does it, well, first off, what, what's the difference between direct trade and fair trade? Um, for me, um, getting past all of the, uh, political stuff that happens with anything that has a name, um, the difference is quality, um, our business is built on sustainability from start to finish that starts at the farmer ends at the consumer. Um, and that comes in and how we treat, you know, our farmers, how we treat, um, our environment, how we treat our customers. Um, we try and do everything sustainable, sustainably, um, in all those forms. And for us, quality is sustainability. And that includes at the farm. You know, if, if I can't produce a quality product, uh, my cons the customer is not going to keep coming back. Mm -hmm. um, a farmer who doesn't produce a quality product is going to be stuck in the commodity market. Um, however, if they're developing a quality product and they have um, the connections, the ability to get outside of the commodity market, they're in a better off position, uh, a more sustainable position, one would argue, than being in the commodity market. So for us... Uh, direct trade is about developing quality. Gotcha. Now, as far as on the, you know, on the surface level uh, from, you know, uh, there is no um, certification of direct trade. Uh, I say that uh, in, on one hand, and yet on another hand, uh, a company on the East Coast um, counterculture has developed their own certification program for their own direct trade. Uh, I think that's an interesting model uh, in some regards. I think it's self-serving. Um, I think that's evident in the fact that there haven't been any, really anybody else that's become direct trade certified. Gotcha. Uh, 
not, taking nothing away from those guys because they put out fantastic coffees and yeah, they do. Sure. We're all working, you know, for the same thing. And I would say that about the fair trade program too. I don't want to take anything away from them. What I would say is that one of the major differences uh, is that there is no quality initiative attached to fair trade. Fair trade is an organization that if you want to be involved with them, you have to pay to play. I think that takes away from um, specifically farmers' ability. If they have to pay to be involved in something, um, it takes away you know, what we're all working for, which is to try and essentially give them more money or get more money into their hands um, for the work that they do. So I guess if anybody's – what I try and tell people um, about the fair trade is – First, you know, we get a lot of people that come to us and say, well, I only buy fair trade. And I say, thank you for being intentional. Uh -huh. They're spending money with where they think it, it's best to be spent. And I, I really do appreciate that. I think that's something that we miss in the specialty coffee industry a lot is that there are people that are voting with their dollars when they buy fair trade. Um, I just don't think the model works very well um, to get farmers out of the commodity system because really the only way to do that is to develop, is to develop quality. You're either quality focused or you're quantity focused. Mm -hmm. um, it's pretty, it's pretty tough to, to do both at the same time. Obviously you want the efficiencies of getting the most out of your coffee trees at the highest quality. However, if you're, if you're um, compensated for quantity rather than quality, um, it tends to lack. And that's my biggest problem with fair trade. Fair trade is uh, at the base level is a um, it's a floor price for coffee. And so gotcha. if the commodity market drops substantially, fair trade will step in and offer a floor price for farmers. And that's a nice little fail safe for some uh, you know for some farmers. Gotcha. So let's say I go to a coffee shop or something like that or go to a grocery store and I see fair trade and direct trade, a couple bags sitting next to each other. One is direct trade going to taste better or is it just what's, am I going to see a difference? In, uh, <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I, you know, the, the companies that I know that do direct trade, absolutely. Their coffee is going to taste better. I don't know all the direct trade coffee companies out there. Um, but I can say the ones that I do are producing fantastic coffees. Gotcha. Um, that's not to say we uh, the direct trade coffee club actually created a survey uh, a couple years ago and surveyed consumers and uh, coffee professionals across the world. Essentially, we had a lot of replies. And one of the things that we put in there was, you know, as a direct trade um, company, does quality play into that? And, you know, direct trade as kind of the industry has developed the definition it's about interacting with the farmer. Um, our model is about quality to development. So we only buy coffees that are in, you know, the top half percent of quality coffee in the world. Mm -hmm. Direct, if direct trade is defined by having a relationship with the farmer, does it matter how good the coffee is? Um, you know, it coffee is scored on a scale of zero to 100, very similar to wine. And, 81, 82, 83, you're starting to come into that specialty world. We live in the 87s, 88s, 89s, 90s. So 
um, does that mean that uh, a company that spe- that does direct trade and is working with a farmer someplace that produces a coffee that scores a 60 on that zero to 100 scale, does that mean that they're not doing direct trade? I don't believe so. I think that that's what it's about. It's about that relationship and you know trying to work together to partner together to increase um, the sustainability at the farm at the farm gate. Um, so, you know, I, that's, a, that's a hard one. I, I think that what I can say is that more than likely the ones that are doing hard work of doing the direct trade, because it is a lot of work. It takes yeah. a lot of resources. It does take a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than likely it is going to taste better. Gotcha. For sure. That uh, answer your question is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, it's like most things in uh, in the world to say, um, just a label in a sense, sort of. Um, there still is, uh, it, I, I yeah. I think you answered the question for sure. <laughs> I guess I, I would argue of the of the direct trade coffee companies that I know and respect, um, it, it will absolutely taste better across the board. There's All no right. question. All right. Yeah. That that's pretty much what I was going for there. There. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, no problem. <laughs> yeah, so I the the big part of uh, I brew my own coffee is to help educate um, the general pub, public more than just uh, coffee snobs, uh, people who go sure. to work every day, work on computers, designers, developers, things like that. What? Why is what? What's a few reasons why uh, they might want to start drinking uh, higher quality coffee or spend more attention to that instead of using something like a Keurig or uh, a drip coffee maker. Sure, sure, sure. Um, well, I guess to start out with, you named Keurig and you named drip. Uh, I have no problem with drip um, mm-hmm. in and of itself. I think it can produce a fantastic cup of coffee. Like I said, we work with a lot of offices and you know businesses, and we work with their current systems of drip machines to produce you know the best coffee that you can mm-hmm. um, as Keurig goes that's a whole nother <laughs> a whole nother problem from a sustainability issue from a quality issue sustainability meaning uh, pricing and what it does to our environment uh-huh. um, and the, the quality just isn't there so um, yeah let, let's let's start there. So why would someone want to start drinking better coffee? Well, number one, it's a much better experience. Um, so many people don't understand that um, coffee doesn't need to be only a delivery tool of caffeine. Mm-hmm. And I realize that that's how most people drink it. You know, they need that pick-me-up, um, whatever. They, ha- they have a, an experience with it. You know, needs cream and sugar, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I get sure. it. It's a delivery tool of caffeine. I get it. <laughs> on one hand. Uh-huh. On the other hand, it's also the most um, affordable luxury beverage in the world. And it takes, you know, high-end coffee takes a lot of work. And um, very similar to the whole micro-brew beer scene. And yeah. uh quality people are starting to understand quality differently and they they find that at the farmer's market whether it's an apple picked locally very ripe not shipped across the world to eat um there's there's a different experience that you have with your with your food and beverage and i think that that is that trend is actually 
developing uh, a different a different opportunity. Um, so number one, have a different experience with your food or beverage. It's a much better experience with your food and beverage. Um, you know, as as there are or more micro roasters around the country, people are becoming educated. So a business owner um, who has people from all over the world traveling to come see their facility, to come talk to their employees, things like that. People are being educated about high quality foods and beverages. And if they come into your office or wherever and they have a shitty coffee experience, it could affect the relationship. It could affect the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing that as, you know, Apple and Google have started putting, you know, coffee services in their place and they're not putting crappy coffee services in there, putting really good coffee mm-hmm. services in their locations to, to woo employees. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're, I'm sure you know programmers and things like that that just sit in front of a computer all day long. <laughs> they're they're guzzling coffee. Yeah, they're they're being educated. You know, they're having meetings at you know places off site, and now they come back to their you know cubicle or whatever, and it's just a bad experience. So it's really low hanging fruit to offer a better experience from yeah. a, a a personal consumption standpoint, other than just having a you know, a much better flavor on your palate. Um, we've also noticed we've done some testing at different uh, corporations with hundreds of employees where we've offered our coffee right next to, say, a Keurig or another drip coffee. And uh, what we have found in surveying everybody is um, they actually tend to use less cream and sugar, which is a really great health benefit. Yes. Um Good coffee is really sweet and has a lot of nuance and has a lot going on in it, and it doesn't need cream and sugar. Uh-huh. Anytime that we can get rid of some of that stuff, whether it's high fructose corn syrup, uh, milk, all that kind of stuff, we get that out of our, you know, our daily routine. Um, yeah, I think we're all better off for that. You know, more, more energy, less sluggish, uh, just the the fat and the calories. You know. I'm I'm kind of chubby. I can, <laughs> I'm, I'm thankfully I only drink my coffee black. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, one of the things you mentioned in the beginning is that just like this. I mean, Grant, me and Chad both come from uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, which has been listed as one of the top uh, microbrewery states in in the U.S. So we're very familiar with the craft craft beer scene, and I just see so many of my friends and uh, different colleagues and stuff that talk about how they go to these different bars on the weekend and love talking about uh, the different beers that they pick up, the six packs they can find, the singles, to, and they're always trying like different things. And I think I only like a double IPA, <laughs> real IPA. Oh, not, not just that normal IPA. <laughs> of course. Exactly. And I think uh, I just love to see like coffee get to that point. Cause I, I saw on Twitter this past week, a guy was talking about how, He's trying coffee again for the first time, and he just can't get past like black coffee. He has to put something in it. Yeah. And I just wanted to reach out to him and ask him, is he trying something other than Folgers coffee out of a drip machine or anything yeah, like I, that? Like, I think they, that you get this idea that coffee only tastes like a single thing. They can't have different flavors, different profiles, anything like that. And that is so far off. There's yeah. this whole whole group of different coffees that um that have different flavors that 
are yeah, awesome. You can, you can have a coffee that tastes like blueberry juice. You could have some that, um, you know, tastes like cherries or raspberries or chocolate or orange or, I mean, there's so many flavors that can come out of it. Um, it's interesting. That's one of the questions. We do a lot of tastings at our uh, roastery, and uh, it, I always tend to gravitate when people are in our space. Uh, you know, sometimes people show up because they're with a group and they're like, ah, I really don't drink coffee. And those are the people that I like to interact with most because, in general, I find they've had an experience with coffee. It's just mostly been a bad one. Mm-hmm. My first coffee experience that I remember is, you know, like sitting on my grandfather's knee and smelling his breath and going, wow, that is awful. <laughs> you know, I don't want anything to do with that. And then, you know, him offering me a sip and taking a sip and going, that is disgusting. Yeah. Why would anybody drink that? And then <laughs> when I was in college, I was helping build a deck for uh, what became my uh, mother-in-law's family. And she, it was cold out. And she's like, you want a cup of coffee? I'm like, yeah, I just want to get warm. <laughs> it was Folgers with flavor crystals, you know, and it was terrible. But the experience was something that, that caused me to think because I was with friends. I was with what became family. I was doing, you know, I was working with my hands. It was an experience that I actually appreciated, which uh-huh. opened up my mind to this whole coffee thing. But it was cream and sugar and it was, you know, mint cappuccinos. <laughs> Uh, mochas and caramel lattes and Jamaican me crazy and you know pumpkin spice lattes, all those things. But it was about the experience. It wasn't uh-huh. about the quality, and that's what most people uh, in, in anything. That's how they choose what they what they what they do. And so you know when this guy on Twitter, I don't know who it was, but said, oh, "I'm going back to it," you know, and I just need cream and sugar. I would love to talk to him about what what are the experiences that have created that assumption of coffee. Because that's what we're really breaking down is we're breaking down all of these assumptions about what coffee is. Um, mm-hmm. Some people, it's just a delivery tool of caffeine. Okay, I get that. For some, it's cream and sugar. It's a dessert drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for others, like for me, I don't drink it for the caffeine, although I appreciate the caffeine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I drink it because uh, it's my business and I absolutely love it. There's so much going on in that and I love creating and being a part of that nuance and changing people's assumptions about what coffee is and what it can be. Yeah, for sure. I think one of the things I liked uh, most about what you guys are doing and what you're trying to accomplish with the Direct Trade Coffee Club is you, I know I've talked to you this about this before, but you mentioned how just taking little steps and, you know, you don't have to go out and buy this expensive gear or anything, not saying like coffee gear is that expensive, but in terms of like, I mean, it can be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, like you could go out and spend hundreds of hundreds of dollars to get a a setup, but something like for personally, me and my wife use at home. We just got a a kettle that we had for brewing tea. Uh, we have just a pour over kettle to help, um, on the pour overs that we use, and we bought a Kalita Wave, which is around I want to say thirty bucks. So yeah. I'm roughly into the whole thing without buying coffee right yet for around forty to fifty bucks, give or take a few dollars. And yeah. uh, I mean, you don't have to do that. You can start basic with what you have. You have a drip coffee maker. Maybe your first step is buying a little bit better coffee. Or trying a different bag of coffee that read the flavor profiles usually. Mo- just, mo- cleaning, just cleaning your equipment. 
Oh, yeah, exactly. Just, just as simple as that, you know, could could affect the flavor of of your of the coffee. Absolutely, yeah. it's amazing. Like we at at work, we have a, a coffee maker. We use a Chemex between uh, three of us at a web development shop I work at, and between the three of us, we all brew it every now and then. We can tell a difference between how each of us brews it because each of us does it differently yeah. each time and stuff yeah. like that. And just that, even though we're using the same coffee, the same type of maker, the same water, everything, we still can taste it. Even uh, we're not coffee professionals. We're not like baristas or anything yeah. like that. But, yeah. but we know, can still pick up that flavor <clears throat> difference. That's a really interesting uh, observation. Um, that is I would say that's probably one of the biggest things that we tell people um, right off the bat is just start with consistency. You know, your your first piece of equipment, the best thing that might change what you're doing is a scale yeah. or a scoop. If you, just, <laughs> if you just scoop the same amount of coffee every day or whenever you make a cup of coffee, now you're going to be consistent and you can start, you know, changing things from there. Um we we I I speak about you know a continuum of coffee and on and on one one side of the continuum it's people who don't drink coffee or as they enter into it you know they're the the big commercial brands the Folgers types you know mm-hmm. and then on the far end you have you know the Burismos the Madcaps the Barefoots mm-hmm. you know Intelligentsia all all the you know all the big players in the specialty scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and most everybody else is in the middle. And our job that we see at the coffee club is to take people wherever they're at on that continuum and move them a couple steps. And sometimes that is, hey, clean your machine. Sometimes that's buy a better coffee. Sometimes it's, hey, you need a grinder. You know, take that next step. It doesn't have to be a science experiment every time you brew a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's really great if you want it to be a science experiment because then you're going to get the full effect of what coffee can be, but it doesn't always have to be that way. Um, you know, we want to meet people where they're at and move them a little bit further down that continuum. And that's what, that's what the specialty coffee industry should be about. For sure. Yeah. Uh, for the listeners out there, what, what's, uh, the way you're brewing coffee this, these days, what, uh, what are you enjoying? Ah, you know, I go back and forth. We've got, you know, in our roastery, we've got a ton of different brewing devices. Um, I have always said I wasn't really interested in espresso. Um, <laughs> lately, we have a new espresso machine. It's, a, you know, maybe two months old. I've been really digging on that, uh, trying different espre- ways to do espresso. Um, but every morning I get up and I make 16 ounces of coffee. Some days I make it in a Chemex. Um, I really love a Hario. Um, the pour over Hario, uh-huh. really simple. It's really easy to use. Uh-huh. So have a, a Bonavita dripper, um, and that that can function as a straight pour over. It's got a hole in the bottom, but you can also close the hole, and it becomes a, an immersion brewer, kind of like a clever. All right, yeah. So I I play around with uh, I play around with each of those brew methods. I guess if you had to if you had to pinpoint me on the one that I do the most, it's it's going to be the Hario. Gotcha. Uh, I I like its simplicity. I like the coffee. It's super clean that comes out of it. I can taste everything that I need to in our roast. 
Um, and I'm always evaluating the roast, so um, it's just good for my own palate. But when I want something to soften up a little bit, I use the Chemex. Um, when I want to try something with a, maybe a little bit more um, deeper flavor in it, then I'll switch over to the Bonavita. It's, uh, you know, I guess the Hario is where it's at. Gotcha. Pinpoint me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we really appreciate you being on the show, Chad. And uh, for the listeners out there, where can they find you online? Uh, uh, Sure. uh, Check out our website at uh, dtcoffeeclub.com. If you just do a search for Direct Trade Coffee, uh, we'll be up high in that search. But Direct Trade Coffee Club is where we're at. And, um, yeah, we'd love people to check us out, give us some feedback. Um, I'm sure my contact information's on there. Just shoot a message to the to the web uh, the web uh, magician, so to speak, and it'll come. <laughs> to me. Um, yeah, it'd be great. Awesome. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, Appreciate thanks again. Being a part of it. See ya. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at brew my own coffee follow us online at ibrewmyowncoffee.com and make sure to sign up for our newsletter if you want to get podcast interviews product reviews and the latest from our website delivered directly to your inbox for free till next time thanks